Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the podcast. The electric vehicle revolution is well underway. Many of you listening will have your own electric vehicle. Others may be thinking of buying, leasing or subscribing to one. I'm in that second camp. So I'll also be looking out for a wall box to charge my electric vehicle because I've got off-street parking. But as electric vehicles become more and more widespread, what about people that aren't lucky enough to have off-street parking? Where, where and how will they charge their electric vehicle? That's the focus of today's discussion. And to dig into this area, I'm delighted to be joined by two colleagues, Alex Lewis-Jones and Kate Armitage. Hello, Alex. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. And hi, Kate. Hi, John. So in the introduction, um, Kate, I framed this as people with on-street and, well, with off-street parking and people that don't have off-street parking. But that's not quite the right way to think about where we charge, is it? Can you just remind us of how to think about the different charging segments about where people will charge their electric vehicle? Sure. Um, so uh, we, we, we generally talk about the, the three main segments, which is uh, home charging, charging in the workplace, and then public charging. Um, uh, and within that, we see home charging as being the most predominant. So that's charge people who are lucky enough to have off-road parking and can charge yep. privately. Uh, workplace charging uh, will also be dominant. Uh, and public charging is, is the third segment. Uh, within public charging, we have, that splits down into on-street. Uh, we also yep. have a segment which is destination charging. So that so would that's be driving to the cinema or supermarket. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it hotels, supermarkets, uh, public, um, uh, private car parks, restaurants, that kind of thing. Uh, and then the other public charging segment is what we call transit. So that is where you would find um, rapid charges on petrol station forecourts, motorway service stations. And effectively, it's somewhere for a very fast charge when you're usually in, in the middle of a longer journey. Um, in the future, we may see that transit charging being used slightly differently uh, within the public charging segment uh, when we see more people who don't have access to private parking at home uh, starting to switch to electric vehicles. Okay, so we've got those three groups, home, charging at home, charging at work and public charging, and then lots of different sorts of public charging, as you outlined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the most popular today, what are we seeing amongst people that got electric vehicles of those three? What what predominates or do, is it a fairly even split? Uh, so uh, within the Delta um, uh, service, we, we run uh, a series of um, uh, research studies with consumers and we see from that yep. that home charging is by far the most popular segment. Okay. Uh, within public charging, um, we see that usage of on-street charging infrastructure today uh, is actually very small. 
Um, so these are drive okay. mostly drivers who have off, who have access to off-road parking. Um, there are differences between countries, so it's really important to call that out. Um, so within the UK um, and uh, Germany, for example, uh, our respondents, uh, four to five percent of our respondents, said that they used public on-street charging. Uh, that's even lower in France, yep. only 1% to 2% of respondents. And in the Netherlands, it was a substantial 16% Okay. report but, that they use on street. Uh, but most people are charging at home. And does that mean by implication, most of the people who've got electric vehicles today have off-street parking? Uh, yes, that's that's exactly it. So it's very dangerous to look at who's got an electric vehicle today and make a judgment about how people will be charging in the future. Okay, so today's electric vehicle owners are definitely not representative of the wider population, um, which suggests that we'll need to come up with solutions for people that don't have off-street parking, because that's probably an underserved segment today from what you said. Okay, so if we get going to get to the levels of EV adoption that we want to, we'll have to crack this uh, nut of on-street charging, or public people will have to charge at supermarkets, at destinations, at, at other public charge points, or at work. Um, so how can we? How can we do that? Uh, what are the different ways that people can charge near their home without having to hang a cable out of their window across the pavement to their electric vehicle, which is definitely not a good idea. Um, Alex, what are you seeing in the market at the moment? Is this a really active part with loads of exciting things going on? Is it uh, still a tomorrow market that people aren't looking at yet? How do you characterize it and what are the different sorts of things we're seeing? Sure, and I think you made a really good point there. I mean, one of a really common way that we we do see is is people trailing cables across the across the pavement to get to their uh, to their cars. You, you, here in where well, I live in London, I see it semi regularly. So it is a concern for uh, public authorities to make sure that that is not the future of uh, of on street charging. Um, I think a good way to think about this is to think about the challenges we see with it of all the different charging segments that Kate mentioned there. This one, we do, we call it, um, you know, a medium hanging fruit because it does have a few more challenges associated with it than, than other segments. Particularly that's around finding the right uh, combination of factors to that make it easy for all stakeholders to, to operate these, these charge points. So first of all, it's um, putting it in a location which is controlled by a municipality or a local authority. So yeah. how do they know how to install uh, charge points? This is quite a new thing for them. Do they have the resource? Do they have um, planning? Uh, do they have, uh, which team takes, takes control of this? Secondly, do we have the capacity for uh, our local networks or do we need to dig up the roads and install brand new cables yeah. and finally can we get it to work for the customer it's really convenient if you can just park in your driveway and your own charge point that is only ever used by you uh, mm. is available um, 
but if you're in a case where it might be somewhere down your road or in the next street is that going to be available is it going to cost me the right amount of money so there yeah, are it sounds, quite, sounds quite hard alex yeah it sounds with those yeah. three challenges that sounds like quite a challenging part of the market yeah and it, and if you're a if you're one of these charging providers who's looking to find a really good business model Mm. it's uh it can be a bit overwhelming but at the same time this is a really important nut to crack so um there are opportunities out there so lots of different innovations are happening we categorize this in three ways so okay. firstly it's about building building new infrastructure what what you'd expect but building it to fit in with the environment so that it it works for all all stakeholders Option two is to retrofit it into existing infrastructure. There's lots of electrical infrastructure in our roads. Can we find furniture that can already take in these charge points? Like a like a lamppost? Like a like a lamppost. Um, there might be some some other options. We will come on to that. Um, yeah. And and the third one is by providing the charging as a service model, whereby you don't necessarily install a a new infrastructure. Uh, by you, but you might have the charging brought to you as a service, and we can explore okay. what that means um, in uh, yeah, probably later on. I'm intrigued about that one, but uh, let's look at those in order then, and if, if you and Kate can share some of uh, the exciting or most promising developments that you see, that would be great. So I think the first was building new infrastructure, so that might be like a a charge point on the pavement or just on the road that I could plug into? Yes, exactly. So uh, you'd expect to see, like you might see a parking meter being installed on your road mm. for, uh, for paying your parking. The same thing, having a, uh, a charge point installed in a, in a box uh, that is mounted onto the floor that you can connect into. And that, uh, I mean, Kate, I'll come to you on this because you've looked at this across various different countries but I'd say that's the most common option that we've seen in Europe uh, particularly uh, in the Netherlands but also France um, with the uh, local energy networks the local energy syndicates installing these as well as the Stadtwerke in in Germany as well um, what, what do you think Kate? Yeah it, it, I think that that is that's certainly the most predominant. Uh, it's also the most obvious uh, in that what it's really taking um, a, a kind of classic charge point operator model in terms of existing hardware uh, and saying, you know, instead of putting it in a, in a car park, I can put it on street. Um, so it, and that's what um, journalists pick up on the most. I think, you know, they tend to show something that looks a bit like a parking meter that has been yeah. embedded into the into the pavement. Um, there are, um, so that's the most mature market. Um, and is that, market. is that scalable? Is that scalable and financeable? Is wow. it publicly funded? Is it privately funded? Well, so if I think back to the to the barriers uh, and challenges that Alex was talking about, um, yeah. so I, I think of them as as there's financial, there's political, there's behavioural. Um, certainly, um, it 
putting a, a new bit of kit with an with an electrical supply running to it in a pavement uh, is is it's expensive um, because you have to dig up the pavements, you've got groundworks, you need a lot of certificates to do that. There's not a ready-made electricity supply, so you normally have to put in a new uh, meter um, uh, and make those electrical connections. So um, it's it's the most obvious. Um, there's also the kind of, from a local authority point of view, there's this other downside of adding more street furniture. Uh, at a time when the trend for uh, a lot of cities and towns is that they want to remove street clutter as much as possible. So um, uh, where okay. we are today, that's what's been installed, that's what people understand. Um, but is it scalable? Question mark. That all really depends on utilisation, but based on the utilisation yeah. rates that we were talking about, one or two percent, or even as high as sixteen percent in the Netherlands, um, it's it's not terribly attractive. Yeah, so hard to privately finance, um, or yeah, very capital intensive. It sounds to me like using that uh, how to crack this nut. You need that's quite a big hammer to cut, crack the nut, and it's quite an expensive hammer. Yeah, um, yeah, and okay. and at a time when um, potentially uh, some of that early government funding for demonstration projects um, yeah. that that we've seen in 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 Germany, France, and the UK, that that approach to funding this is is disappearing, and we're looking much more to private sector funding, um, who are. Uh, less less goodwilled in their in their spend. <laughs> they need a return. Um, okay, then let's move on to retrofit, uh, like the idea of lamp. Sorry, but... sorry, John. Could I could I just add one one extra thing to to, to Kane's yeah. points there? So it's a really good point you raised about avoiding street clutter, and and actually where we see a lot of the innovation happening today is actually trying to make the charge point fit in with the landscape as as best as possible so to give you a few few really good examples um, there's urban electric networks who are building uh, pop-up charge points so actually sinking them underground and then okay. you drive up to it and it pops up just when you uh, need to use it so it doesn't take up space unless there is somebody uh, charging there uh, similarly, okay. there are, yeah, they're very low level um, charge points as well. Connected Curb is another uh, company developing impact infrastructure. And a final one that I mentioned is Trojan Energy, who are developing a, um, almost you take the charge point with you. Uh, they call it a lance, but essentially the charging pole is your own um, that is right. uh, attached to your charging cable. You keep it in the boot of your car, and uh, in that way, you can just have a flat charge point service on the pavement. Uh, okay. So I, yeah, I had in my mind a public charging point on the pavement or this parking meter example, but those examples are quite different. Maybe a bit. I don't know if they're more expensive or not, but yeah, that's quite interesting for the the, the visual impact. Um, and and has advantages in terms of vandalism or accidental damage as well. Hmm. Okay, let's move on to retrofit and those lampposts or other street furniture. 
who wants to give us a bit of a flavor of what's going on there and some of the exciting innovations? Uh, yeah, I'll, go on. <laughs> I'll, I'll kick off um, because we've had a look at a few of these, uh, a few of these, thinking about that that point about how much street furniture do you have? Um, yeah. There's there's lots of different things installed on on our roads that already have electric electricity connected to it. Um, and one example uh, would be the telecoms network, who actually have a lot of pro pro private wire networks. Um, across all of our urban areas and they all have some some bits of capacity in them so is there a business opportunity um, we're seeing some companies exploring that and uh, one would be um, telecom in germany who are actively yeah. looking at is there capacity um, that they can uh, get access to in, at a street level and create a charge point and that's really good for a fleet to looking to uh, switch to electric as well. Hmm. It might be that they can uh, plug in and charge whilst they are in the area doing doing upgrades um, for uh, new 5G broadband and, and the like. Hmm. Um, we have seen an example of a of a phone box um, which has electricity connected to it, and that has also been con converted into a charge point. Um, not really seeing phone boxes as the future of of the the no, European bit, street landscape bit um, of a dying breed but an interesting uh i guess how yeah it gets you thinking about okay what has got an electrical connection that's already on the uh or by the street yeah yeah um but obviously the 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 key one um is is the lamppost um there are millions of lampposts yeah. all over uh, every country and a lot of them being upgraded or have been upgraded to LED for energy efficiency reasons. Um, yeah. But that might mean that there's a little bit extra capacity um, within their network to install a few charge points. And the key one here, and I'm I'm a little bit biased because I know they exist on my road, um, but is Ubertristi that has been the biggest disruptor to the on-street charging market in Europe in my humble opinion um, and yeah. uh, they have installed uh, little sockets onto uh, lampposts so you might not even notice that they've rolled out thousands of charge points across across London and are doing so across other places in the UK a thousand in Berlin as well where they're where they're based okay and they were bought by Shell recently weren't they indeed yeah the latest acquisition in uh, a, a growing portfolio for for the oil majors, and I think it's I think it's a really smart move. Um, from my side, I think what's really interesting about Ubertristi is that they've done the most thinking around how to solve a lot of the problems um, with with building new infrastructure. Now, very simply, if you've got lamp posts, they are probably being paid for by the council in terms of their electricity supply. So how do you make sure that mm -hmm. council's not just paying for me to charge my car all the time? Um, sure. So you need some kind of metering system that fits into a nice narrow lamp post. Um, and they they came up with a solution that did get accepted by the regulators before anyone else. Um, and essentially it's putting the meter outside of the uh, the lamp post and actually on a, on a on a connected cable 
and that helps people yeah. to um to to be able to just carry the meter around with them and it all gets built very very cleanly and that's why we've seen such rapid growth across the uk okay well so the lamppost in some ways is obvious but there's a lot of as in everything the devil's in the detail there's a lot to get right and now you've got that combination maybe of, of shell with the ambition and potentially the capital and ubertricity having worked through a lot of those detailed issues that could be quite a potent combination i guess yes it's, it's, yeah. worth, it's worth saying john that there are other lamppost solutions emerging um which is, <laughs> yep. which, is, which is a good sign because it does mean that there's obviously a good business model sitting behind it but we've got um in the in the uk there is a city ev uh, and there's also Chargy who are developing, uh, and they're all working with different local authorities. Um, it's um, it's not it's not perfect, John. Um, so uh, I, I I don't think neither Alex or I are sitting here and saying um, lamppost charging is going to rule the world. Um, yeah. We're seeing a lot of short-term success. Um, because it is relatively low cost compared to the traditional floor mounted uh, charge points. Uh, yeah. So you get more bang for your buck in terms of being able to connect more cars simultaneously for the same investment, be that local yeah. authority or um, private investment. But that, that's yeah. really how um, Ubitricity have managed to propel themselves to one of the largest public charging networks in the UK in a very short period of time. Yeah. The downsides yep. are, <laughs> I was um, waiting for this part, Kate. <laughs> well, the, down, the downsides are, uh, unfortunately, um, lampposts aren't necessarily positioned where you need them to be. Uh, and and a lot of a lot of uh, local authorities for health and safety reasons have spent a lot of money repositioning their lampposts so that on the inside of the pavement. Uh, and if I look outside, we... that's exactly what happened yeah. on my street. Yeah. 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 And so so then you have the we... cable across. The... Yeah. Yeah. In the so wrong place. We need those lampposts to be back where they were and where we didn't like it from a health and safety point of view. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. It, so it's the, I think the whole thing with retrofitting is you've got you've got to work with what you're given. So yes. there will be whole streets, potentially whole towns, where this solution doesn't work. Number one. Yeah. Uh, number two, as Alex has already said, a lot of these lampposts have been converted to LED, and thank goodness because that's what's created the headroom in the available electricity. Um, yeah. But you're talking about uh, two or three kilowatts. Charging, so trickle charging, yeah. Trickle charging, yeah. which of course is fine uh, if you're char if you're parked up overnight. That's absolutely perfect. Um, yeah. So so that works well. And then of course there is the issues with the metering and the billing because a lot of lamp posts yeah. are traditionally unmetered supply. Okay, um, so definitely not a panacea, but right for part of the market or help certainly. So um, we've had building new infrastructure, a lot of nice solutions, but not cheap, with uh, potential visual impacts, so you can deal with that. Uh, retrofitting, existing street furniture, definite opportunities, but again, not a panacea and some issues there. The third category was service style models, um, which listeners may have a bit of trouble imagining what they are. So uh, Alex, do you want to demystify this last category? 
Yeah, certainly. And if 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 we just draw on that example with Ubertristi and some of the drawbacks that are commonly associated with a lamp lamppost charging. Now, um, in uh, in we're seeing lots of evidence coming through that are oh, well, if if people are parked in front of those lamp posts, then you can go to the next one, you can go to the next one, you you'll you'll eventually find mm. one that's available. From a customer experience, that might not be convenient, and yeah. that might not be what people are looking for. They might just want to get home, park in front of their uh, in front of their house, and and be done with it. So some well, people. I yeah, I remember before I had uh, moved into a house with off-street parking, it was a pain in the neck enough to drive around with a lot of shopping in my boot and look for a parking space near my near my flat, let alone a parking space with a EV charger available. So, um, so yeah, how could I just pull up in the nearest charging space, nearest parking space, and have a service that would charge my vehicle? <laughs> so imagine, imagine that you just come home with your shopping park where you want to in front of your house um yeah but a uh, a concierge service might come and um access your vehicle take it elsewhere to where they know that there is a uh, a charge point available to charge up your car for you yeah. and then return it with as full of battery as possible at the uh, time that you will next requ require it so they could Go and drive your car away overnight, and uh, and return with a with a nice full battery. Okay. That's one option that's being explored. Um, yeah. uh, another way could be well, let's just bring the charge point to you. So have a have a van with some uh, large batteries in the back and charge up people's cars again overnight whilst you're sleeping, uh, so that you have a nice full battery in the morning. Okay. Oh, so yeah interesting ideas and i guess if they're driving it to somewhere i can imagine a supermarket overnight might have a lot of charge points that are not being used so there could be a range of places they could could take it to are there, are there companies actually doing this today is this ideas or is this actual on the ground uh, practice today yeah so one example again uh, lots of innovation happening out of Berlin, but there was a, a company called uh, Serve Mobility, um, and they pioneered actually putting batteries onto bicycles and driving those batteries around to uh, cars that were parked, plugging those batteries in, cycling off, picking up another battery and redistributing them. Uh, they've been doing that for a few years. They've released, um, received a lot more investment and are doing a lot more of that kind of mobile charging uh, uh, style approach. Um, back in in the UK, we are seeing some companies as Charge Ferry are doing the the yeah. option with the the van when they bring that along, and also uh, Zumo Charge is the uh, the concierge service which is launching this year. Okay, so the, those cyclists cycling around with those batteries must have pretty powerful thighs, then because that must be quite heavy blow to, to to cycle around. Yeah, um, and, and John, with with the with the service approach, um, tends to be a subscription-based model, uh, and you you allow that service provider to monitor the state of charge of your battery, so that they can begin to anticipate and plan when you're going to next need that service. Okay, so there's quite a lot of peace of mind in that offering then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, question, the question is, uh, sorry, the question, John, is willingness to pay. 
Yes. <laughs> Does peace of mind equal willingness to pay equal profitability? Yeah. Um, okay, keeping on time here, we were going to, I was, did want to touch briefly on models where people don't have their own cars they needed to charge. So car clubs, taxes. In fact, there's car clubs, I think people can get their heads around. The idea of, of using taxes for mobility, just very, very briefly, is that something you see getting more and more traction, um, may, maybe in cities with younger people? Yeah, I think, um, but just on the car club front, it's something I'm personally quite interested in because I don't really want to own a vehicle. I, I'm, mm. I'm like, you know, like to use uh, myself and uh, thinking of that kind of millennial um, demographic. And actually, I, I just want to pick up any car off the street and use that for the very few car journeys that I need to do in the city centre. Um, You're such a millennial, I Alex. Uh, I know, right? Uh, um, I I want that to be an an, an electric one, um, and I want that to yeah. be charged. I don't want to have to worry about that. So there's got to be some solution there. Now, if we look at examples from you know, uh, from Paris, where we we know that we've had electric car clubs before, um, they have struggled with with that early business yeah. model. But the idea of okay, we provide a load of um, specific cars that are just designed for car clubs and where you have to drop them off is exactly where they have to charge up great idea um the difficulty was the operating operating costs associated with that keeping those vehicles clean and 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 usable yeah. meant that they didn't last um but the concept's still there so actually if you look at companies like um we share uh, the uh the Volkswagen subsidiary, they're going all electric in German cities. And Zipcar, again, are looking at going electric in many, uh, many, many European cities. Um, yeah. I know them because I use their electric vehicles here. Uh, a, a quick word on, on taxis. Again, yeah. a really interesting situation that we're finding in London is that um, because the black cab is so so emblematic of of London and so key to its its transport system they get their own uh rapid charges so really fast charges and they are placed on street as well and interestingly they are infrastructure that are not available for the general public so yeah. you do go along and see these charge points that have handwritten signs on them saying please don't try and use this this is for for us uh us cabbies because we need this for our for our jobs so there are interesting opportunities for certain niches um, in that in that in those different customer segments. Uh, and uh, another okay. example, John, in uh, Oslo, um, where they're trialing um, electric iPace taxis that are compatible with wireless charging. So when the vehicle's at the rank, okay. uh, it, it's wireless yeah. charging. Um, that's it. So ta yeah. taxi is a is a really special niche use case, but but large volumes um, when when you look at it across Europe. Well, maybe maybe car the shared economy and taxes and abilities of service deserves a separate episode. So uh, mm. hopefully we've whetted listeners' appetites with those examples. Um, let's get the talking new energy crystal ball out on the desk next to me and do our looking forward part. So I've set the dial to 2030 this week. 
And the, the question is this, and there are two parts to the question. What proportion of EV drivers will be using on-street charging as their main form of charging by 2030? Um, so you alluded at the beginning of the episode, Kate, most people charging at home. What proportion of people will be using on-street charging as their main form of charging by 2030? And of the three examples you outlined, Alex, building new infrastructure, retrofit, and service style models, what will be the predominant model? So in the interest of time, keeping your answers brief, um, Kate, do you want to go first? Uh, yep, okay. Um, so uh, it's, it's really important to understand what percentage of uh, households in each country do not have access to off-road parking. Um, uh, yeah. the, the extreme is the Netherlands, um, uh, which is why they've got such a mature on-street um, parking network and it's well utilized. 66% of households do not have access to off-road parking. Um, the right. other important aspect with the date of 2030, John, is that both the Netherlands and the UK um, have, have set the ban on new sales of ICE vehicles to 2030. Um, so I don't want to be pinned down to a percentage, but I think you're going to see the <laughs> Netherlands looking um, yeah. definitely the strongest market in Europe. Um, uh, perhaps not in absolute size because it's a small country, but in terms of yeah. percentage of their public charging will be on street high, um, uh, well over well over 50%, more like 60% of all public charging will be on yeah. street. Um, okay. uh, the UK, Germany and France are, uh, uh, have um, a slightly a smaller, so it's about roughly 30% of households don't have access, 30 to 35% yeah. don't have access to off-road parking. Uh, and okay. within that context, context, you've also got to allow that there will be workplace charging, destination and transit as well. So, so. it will so be part of that 30% yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And which of those, which of the three forms, if you had to pick one, will predominate or be the most popular? Um, or too early to say. I think, uh, well, it, it, it's, it's, uh, this, this kind of comes down to the local authority municipality approach. Um, yeah. uh, in the Netherlands, they've very much taken a concession-based approach where some of the more traditional CPOs are bidding to install infrastructure. Uh, yeah. Whereas um, in the UK, uh, it's much more exploratory in terms of driving down that 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 cost yeah. of infrastructure. Um, so I think uh, it, it will vary by country. Uh, I think that return on investment um, yeah. and utilisation are absolutely key. And on that basis, uh, lamppost charging is currently my favourite that, that has the potential to really roll out at high level uh, and really give good bang for buck in terms of ROI. Okay, thanks Kate. Um, Alex, your view, uh, proportion of people on street and most popular type? Okay, I would say in terms of the charging sessions um if you have 100 percent of charging sessions 
and we say that about 59% across all of Europe is uh, mm -hmm. charging uh, in driveways and garages of people's homes today. I think that a wedge of that is going to be taken and shift to on street. So I, I'd say that would go down to 50%. So that 9% will get yeah. added to the 5% of on street. So I reckon about 15, 14 or 15% to be very precise. Very precise, Alex. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Written that down, so, Alex. Uh, we, I don't have, yeah, I don't have to get um, faced up on that. But that, that would be where I, I see it. And I, I think it would, it would just be that switch, switch around in terms of residential yeah. Um, charging do I charge in my home or is it in a public location in terms of sure. what's going to, to dominate I, I, I feel like there's there's going to be a bit of a revolution in terms of ways of thinking about on street in the in the coming years because a lot of the infrastructure like Kate mentioned has, has been around for a few years and they're going to need to upgrade it and rethink about it and I would yeah. say that it's going to be the new build infrastructure probably more local charging hubs so they get away from having to install lots of distributed um, charge points, mm -hmm. maybe just one hub where people can collab, uh, collect um, is probably going to be the preferred option, even if it might not be the most, most efficient option. The third point that I'm going to say is my prediction for 2030 is that we won't have parking wardens anymore. We will have charging wardens because of there will still be a considerable problem with trailing cables and knowing whether people are charging at a, uh, a location where there's a charge point accessible. It's going to be a huge resource for local authorities to manage and I think that's uh, a huge yeah. new job um, for, uh, for, for that category of uh, parking warden. And, and I think those parking wardens uh, are also going to be uh, looking at icing are you familiar with icing, John? No. No. So that's when an ICE vehicle parks in an EV charging spot. Ah, got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in Netherlands, they already have a problem with charge point blocking. So the average time on charge for an electric vehicle in an on-street space in the Netherlands is uh, less than two hours, but the time it stays in that parking spot is on average ten hours. Oh dear, and that's a very valuable number of hours that other people yes. would want access that, to. That, that time that you well, can't retail electricity. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like this is an absolutely critical area if we're to hit our decarbonisation of transport targets, if we're to get EV adoption spreading through people uh, without off-street parking. And there's a lot of learning going on, a lot of great ideas, but a huge amount more to do and a lot of challenges. So uh, thanks very much, Alex and Kate, for, for sharing uh, your thoughts, your research highlights. Uh, I found it a fascinating discussion, one that I think everyone listening will be able to relate to. Um, if you don't park on street, you'll undoubtedly know someone that, that does and will have these challenges or maybe even has them today. So thanks, Alex. Thanks, Kate. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining. We hope you found that uh, useful and interesting discussion. Um, Alex and Kate, I've stored your predictions in the crystal ball as with all other predictions, so we'll come back to them in 2030. Um, look forward to welcoming everyone back to next week's episode. Thanks very much and goodbye.
If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com.